So I want to uh, talk to you this morning about the Gospel of Mark. And uh, let me tell you just a few things about the Gospel. It's the, um, first, I want to tell you about Mark himself, because a lot of people may not know this about the person who wrote that Gospel. Uh, who, who is Mark? Mark is the second. We know more about Mark than any of the Gospel writers except for John. Obviously, John wrote uh Three, he wrote a gospel, the gospel of John. He wrote three epistles, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and he wrote the book of Revelations. So we know a lot about his thoughts and how he felt. We know very little about Matthew, who wrote the gospel of Matthew. We know very little about Luke, a little more about Luke. We know he was a, the beloved physician that was a follower of Paul, and, that's, uh, and, and obviously a very brilliant person, and who was able to speak to a lot of people in government, in high levels. Well, Mark was, is, is, the Bible actually mentions Mark's name a lot, especially in the book of Acts. Uh, his, there was a prayer meeting in Acts, I think it was Acts 12, is that right? Where, or maybe it was earlier, where there was a prayer meeting because Peter uh, was arrested. And there was this prayer meeting that happened, and that was John Mark's home where this mighty prayer meeting. So he, he grew up uh, in, the, in the church, the New Testament church. He was a, a, a really a, around all of that, central to all of that. Uh, he was actually, um, Paul went to Jerusalem to bring an offering, and, and Paul and Barnabas, and, and they took Mark with them. And the reason being, the Colossians says that, that Mark was actually the cousin of Barnabas. So he had these family connections that are very high-level connected people in the church. And then the, the very first missionary journey that ever happened in the Bible, and uh, where Paul went on his first missionary journey, him and Barnabas, Mark was chosen to go with them. Isn't that amazing? And, and many of you know this. They got out there, and obviously things got a little testy, a little difficult. And what does the Bible say? And Mark departed. And went back home. And so, uh, of course, Barnabas and Paul finished their journey. Uh, a period of time went, you know, came back home, reported. Didn't, we don't hear anything about Mark until the second missionary journey. Second missionary journey, Barnabas wants to take Mark, give him another chance. Guess who didn't want to take him? Paul. Like, no, he's not coming. And so, guess what happens? The worst argument in the New Testament. Paul... And Barnabas is getting this big fight. Imagine that, Christian men getting in fights. Especially, especially people like Paul, you know, who talked a lot about humility and brokenness and, you know, all of that. Hear him, they're getting this big argument. And they, it says, the Bible says the argument was so sharp that there's a division that became between uh, Paul and Barnabas. And Paul took uh, Titus or Timothy, one of them, and headed off to, 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 to the, who was it somebody was saying? Silas, okay, the, the, I was wrong. It's Silas, his third son. But guess who Barnabas took? Barnabas took John Mark, and they went off and did something. We don't really hear much more about Barnabas after that, honestly. The Bible doesn't say much more about him. Uh, the Bible says a few more things about Mark. Apparently, uh, he was not beloved for a, for a season in the church uh, because of, you know, what he had done, kind of a troublemaker. Uh, but later, uh, Paul gives instructions to the church about 
about Mark saying, you know, to, to well, he gave specific instructions, welcome this man. In other words, Paul was endorsing him, and he was a, a, pers- a reliable person where he had not been a reliable person. And then the, one, of the la- one of the last people Paul calls for in 2 Timothy at the end of his life, 2 Timothy 4, he is calling for, for Mark, that he needed Mark. So just, just amazing testimony of the person who wrote this book uh, who's, you know, sort of had started out, you know, because he was around the church. He was around a lot of action figures. He was related uh, naturally, had these amazing opportunities and absolutely failed at everything. But then something happened, and the Bible actually tells us what happens, is at some point Peter approached Mark and uh, he became a disciple of Peter. Peter actually discipled uh, Mark. You can, I think that's Second Peter where he mentions uh, my son, Mark, uh, Peter. And so that's really the gospel that we read, the gospel of Mark, is really the gospel that, that Peter told to Mark and revealed to Mark, and Mark wrote it down. Uh, so it's, it, some people could actually call it the gospel of, of Peter because it really came from, from Peter because he was the one who really experienced all these things firsthand. So, so this is really important when you think about the gospel. There's a, the, the story behind the story is, is the story of his life, of a life of, you know, opportunity, failure, restoration, okay? And, he, and the reason he was restored happened to be because he was discipled. He became a disciple of the Lord Jesus. Okay, somebody took the time to disciple him and help him. Uh, I was reading this interesting article yesterday about the fastest growing church in the world. Uh, and And it says this church is primarily led by women. This is amazing. It's the, it's the church in Iran. Okay? It is the fastest growing church in the world. They're, it literally said they're emptying out mosques over there. They're literally emptying them out. It's a church with no building. Okay? It's a scattered church. It's an underground church led by women. But this is interesting. This is what one of the women said. Uh, she said this, Our goal is not to plant churches. Okay, but rather making disciples. And they did, and she went on to say, the majority of our disciples are females. This is something she said. This is coming from this this lady. We don't know her name, obviously. Disciples forsake the world and cling to Jesus till he comes. Converts don't. Disciples cherish, obey, and share the word of God. Converts don't. Disciples choose Jesus over anything and everything else. Converts don't. Converts run when the fire comes. Disciples don't. This woman went on to say that uh, they, uh, yeah, they understand, okay, that if, they, if they're captured, they know these, these things are going to happen to them. They know, first of all, they're going to get raped. These are females. She said, we know we're going to get raped if we get captured. We know we're going to be beaten. We know we possibly could be thrown in jail or possibly killed. We understand that, but, but, but we, have, we decide to make a sacrifice. We're willing to sacrifice ourselves for the gospel. And that's why this church is growing amazingly. They're not creating converts. They're, they're actually creating disciples. Okay, And so to me, that's the story behind 
the gospel of Mark. It's about discipleship. It's about not getting people converted, not trying to have church growth like America does. Have you ever just, let me just go off my other little thing here. Something's wrong in America and it's just not the government. Because we're to be the salt and light. And if, if, if something's going wrong in our nation, we have to look at ourselves first. And to me, this is the kind of things we need to begin to look at. That's the kind of things we need to look at. Are y'all following me? I mean, these are the questions we should be asking ourselves. It's, it's challenging, you know, because, you know, we're in a different situation. We're in a different culture. But they're in the worst of situations over there. And they have a whole different view on what's happening in their nation, what's happening in the world, and how they look at things. So that's yeah, kind of kind of sobering, isn't it? Very sober to me when I read that. Like, Lord, help us. We started asking the Lord immediately about this. Becky and I did. Like, Lord, show us, you know, how to be disciple makers. Because that's really what's going to make a difference in the world. That's what's going to change, change the course of the nations. It's going to be disciples. Like, like Mark's life was completely changed. The whole course of his life. And we're reading something he wrote today. A gospel. Forever recorded in history. Why? Because he became a, a true disciple. Not just somebody who was involved in the church world because his mama was involved and his cousin was powerful and he probably had a salvation experience. But it wasn't just that involvement. He actually became that person who really became a disciple of Jesus and began to live according to the principles of the kingdom. Y'all looking awesome, awful. Y'all looking bad at me. <laughs> <laughs> so let me tell you a few more things about the gospel of Mark it was the, actually a lot of people don't know this most people think Matthew was written first because it's, it's the first one but it's not there's a reason for it to be in the first one I'll go ahead and tell you the reason the reason is is that in the New Testament right away they wanted to establish the fact that Jesus is king that's why Matthew's gospel is first. But Mark's gospel was actually written before Matthew's, and it's believed that both Mark and Luke, or Matthew and Luke used some of the information out of Mark to help them write their gospels. In fact, if you look at the sequence of events in Matthew, Mark, Matthew and Mark pretty much track the same. Isn't that, that's interesting, isn't it? Uh, and so it's also written, it's the shortest one, right? So if, if you don't like to read long Gospels, read the Gospel of Mark. It's short, okay? And, and there's, there's a reason it's being short. But it's written more in story form than the other Gospels. He wrote it like a, it was like a story. Remember, a fisherman told him all of this. A fisherman gave him this information to write this story about Jesus. And his whole goal in the Gospel is to reveal who Christ is like all the Gospels are, and what his passions and drives are in life. And he did a great job at it. Uh, this, is, this is what I think uh, uh, about the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter, this is me, okay? Somebody else may something different about it. But to me, the Gospel of Mark chapter 5 is the, the book of Mark condensed into one chapter. If you want to understand, if like if you only had chap one one chapter to read in the Gospel of Mark, so you could understand the whole book, read Mark five, because in Mark five, it, that's just I just love that chapter in the Bible. It's it reveals uh, 
It starts out with a guy who was so demonized he was living in in a tomb. He he couldn't even be around people. That's how messed up he was. That's how demonized, that's how fallen he was. And and, and, and it it ends with a little girl being raised from the dead. There's so much symbolism in that whole whole chapter there about the gospel message of where it takes man and where ultimately what happens to mankind. You know, because God comes to earth and finds man demonized like this, this man uh, in Mark 5. The whole world's under the influence of the devil. And at the end, though, it's showing a person being resurrected from that death place. Isn't that beautiful? And also, it has the basic needs of every human being uh, in that chapter where they address it. It addresses the problem of Satan, the problem of sin, the pl- problem of relationships. This is one chapter in the Bible. The problem of relationships, the problem we have with family. Uh, it addresses the problem of finances. It addresses the problem of health. It addresses the problem of sorrow. It addresses the problem of death. One chapter in that Bible addresses all those things. You have any need in your life, you can go to that, and He gives you the answer to all those problems. And of course, obviously, the answer is the person of Christ, because in that chapter, He addresses all of those things and goes after those things and gives an answer to those things. And that's what Mark's trying to show us. He's trying to show us that Jesus is the man of ultimate power. That's what that book is about. He wants to show the world. He's the man of ultimate power that God fully lives in him. Now that's really the whole thing. When we, so if you approach it and read it that way to know that this is what Mark's trying to tell us about Jesus. He's the most powerful man ever and he can address any issue, any problem that you may be facing in life. He is the answer. And that's the answer the world needs. They don't need good church. They don't need all the things we think they need. They need Him. Our government needs Him. That's, that's really the truth. Anyways, I don't know why I'm on the government thing. Uh, are y'all okay? Let me read the, 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 this is the key verse in the Gospel of Mark. Oh, Lord, Mark, something else hit me. Uh, you know, let me just say this. When I was a young believer, like really kind of young in the Lord, I heard uh, a guy give a message on John Mark about the discipleship thing. And that really, it changed my life. Because I made a decision that night when I heard him that I really wanted to be a real disciple of the Lord. I said that to the Lord, Lord, I want to be your disciple. I want to be your disciple. That's all I said to him. And that changed the course of my life. I'm, I'm convinced today. I'm convinced if I wouldn't have had that prayer, I would probably wind up some nominal Christian, some convert, going to heaven one day, but living like hell pretty much most of the time. Not getting free, not getting delivered, not getting set free, being tempted all the time, dabbling in sin constantly. But when a disciple gets to a place where all that stuff doesn't have its hold on them. Are y'all good? Let me read this Mark 10, 45. Woo, Lord help, right? I'm sorry I'm all over the place. This is the key verse, uh, and most people would agree with this. 
I don't know if most people agree with my Mark 5 thing, but I don't care what most people... It's in there. It's true. It says, For even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. Now, think what I just said about Matthew. Matthew presents Jesus as king. Okay? Jesus is king. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord of all. But what Mark does, this is crazy, Mark reveals Jesus as the servant. That's his whole thing. He wants to show the world that Jesus really is a servant. He's a very powerful servant. Uh, it's, it's interesting. There's like 19 miracles in the Gospel of Mark. There's four parables. Just four. And guess what those four parables are about? Anybody want to guess? Serving. He didn't do them be the other great parables about the king and the glory and all that. It was all about serving. You know one thing that used to, to make me wonder... This is a long time ago when I wondered. I still wonder, but I have lots of things in the Bible that make me wonder. If you go to the end, when Jesus is being crucified on the cross, those two thieves, in Matthew, one of the thieves says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Y'all remember that? Well, if you read Mark, that's not in there. The guy doesn't say that. And I was like, what was why did he leave that out? That's kind of an important fact. That made that thief, it made his day. It made his, the rest of his eternity because Jesus says, you're going to be with me in paradise. They left it out. Why did they leave it out? Why did Mark leave it out? Because Mark's not trying to show Jesus as a king. He's trying to show Jesus as a servant. And servants don't have kingdoms. Servants are not Lord. It wasn't that he didn't believe that. He knew Jesus was king. He knew that. But he was trying to show us another part of Jesus. Not Jesus the king. Jesus the foot washer. Jesus who came to serve. And all through the book, it's, it, it's, it's, Jesus was hands on with people. He was touching people. He was with people. He didn't, Mark didn't give a bunch of his teachings. Because he wanted to show that Jesus was this person that cared about other people and touched people and loved people and healed people and delivered people. That's really what he was trying to show. And he was not trying to talk to, to the Jewish community. He was trying to talk to the Roman community, to the world leaders, the powerful people, to let them know there's somebody more powerful than you. There's somebody more powerful than you. And this is how you get real power if you want power is you learn how to serve. That's what he was showing. Are you okay? Woo, more, mercy, Lord. I did another thing. I thought this was crazy. The word immediately, everybody say immediately. It's, it's in the, more in the gospel, Mark, than it is anywhere else in the Bible. The majority of times they use the word, I'm talking about even the Old Testament. That word is used over and over and over and over in the Bible, in the, in the gospel of Mark. Because it's action-packed. That's what he's trying to show us. Jesus was a man of action. He wasn't lazy. He wasn't sitting around. He was involved doing things. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He, in, in another word it would use, uh, it started out, actually I think 12 of the chapters start out, then, then's the first word in the chapters. You know, you tell a story about what Jesus did, and then he, he would say, then Jesus did this. Isn't that interesting? So you can see the whole book was geared towards actions and the works of God. 
the, the miracles of God, you know, the power of God, which is just amazing, isn't it? And so when you read the Gospel of Mark, that's what we need to be reading is this is what God's trying to talk to us about. This is how God's trying to reveal himself to us as a servant, but a very powerful servant. And when you begin to read it with that in mind, all of a sudden the book will open up to you. And you can begin to see things in that book that you haven't seen before. That's why I'm talking to you about this. You'll begin to see stuff in there you've never seen before, and God will begin to reveal stuff about himself to you that you've never seen before. That's why I believe it's so important to understand these Gospels and get a revelation about what they're describing, how they're describing the Lord. You know, the Bible says we're transformed, 2 Corinthians 3.18, we're transformed from glory to glory just as we behold the glory, behold the Lord. Are y- did y'all get that? As we're, that's one of the ways we're transformed into His image is by seeing Him. And that's what the Gospels do. They, we can look into the Gospels. We can look into the Gospel of, of uh of Matthew and learn how to be a king and priest in our own lives because we're seeing the king. And as we see him, we can become transformed more into his image. Now, are y'all following this? And as you look in the book of Mark, you can look into the, to these, these words that, that, that were written. They can speak to your heart and you can begin to be transformed into a servant. And you can begin to serve the kingdom and do mighty works like Jesus did. I really believe that. And Luke, same thing, son of, son of man. You can learn how to live as a man on the earth, as a human on the earth. That's why Luke's trying to show us Jesus had this humanness about him. He, he was down in the dirt with people. He was down in the dirt of the earth. And then John, he's the son of God. He's amazing. He's spiritual. He's caught up into the spirit world. Are y'all following this? If you want to get caught up in the spirit world, get in the gospel of John. See, we shouldn't leave any of them out, though. Okay. Are y'all all right? Am I going? I feel, uh, I feel tired. Uh, so, but there is just so happened to be one place in the gospel where Jesus wanted to do a teaching. Okay, just remember... He took all, Mark threw all the teachings out pretty much except those four parables. But there's one place that he wanted to teach his disciples something. Okay? You can guess what it is, but I want to read that. Because this is the way you really can apply this. It's in Mark 9. It's down in verse 30. And let me tell you what just happened, just in case you didn't know in Mark 9. Mark 9 is, it begins with the Mount of Transfiguration. It's Mark's version of Jesus' Mount of Transfiguration. You know, him up there. They actually had some stuff in there that Matthew didn't have. It's when Moses and Elijah appeared, they were talking about Jesus, about his, his soon departure, about his death. That was what they were talking to Jesus about on that mountain. So that's the only way we know that is Mark told us that that was the conversation. That's what it was about. And so, you know, that came to an end. They came down the mountain. There was this boy down there that was, you know, was demonized. And his, the other disciples who didn't get to go up, there were nine of them that didn't get to go up there with Jesus. You ever thought about that? Why didn't I get to go, Lord? You're stuck down here. I'm stuck down here trying to get this guy free of this demon. And I can't do it. So you <laughs> put yourself in their place, you know. And so, you know, Jesus did the, he goes down there and the boy's daddy runs to him, help, and they can't help me, you help me. 
Jesus helps him, gets the boy free from the demon. The demon was trying to kill the boy, throw him in the fire, throw him in water, just absolutely trying to destroy this man's child. The dad was absolutely crushed. It's a powerful moment in there. Uh, and then they left. And so here's the next part of this story. I just told you all that so you kind of be in, in the story. Leaving that region, they traveled through Galilee, which is a lot of walking. Jesus didn't want anyone to know he was there. He was like trying to pull away from the crowds and, you know. Listen, this is why he didn't, though. For he wanted to spend some time with his disciples and what? Teach them. That's important. Mark put that in there to get our attention. You see what I'm saying? So here's how you read the gospel of Mark. Oh, it's all about the acts of God, the power of God. Oh, wait a minute. Jesus wanted to teach something. This must be really important what he wanted them to know to put into his action-packed, teacherless, no amount of trans, no uh, summer on the mountain, all that. I'm leaving all that out, but I don't want to leave this out. I want you all to get this. Are you all following that? Yeah, I mean, so he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. This is the second time he told them this. He will be killed, but three days later he will rise from the dead. He actually told them that three times, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, and all three times they didn't get it. In fact, the first time Peter argued with them about it and got, and got scolded for being, being demonic. Second, this is the second time, and then the third time is in Mark 10. They didn't understand what he was saying, however, and they were afraid to ask him what he meant. So they, were, they didn't understand it. They didn't really want to ask him. They, it says they were afraid. Does that make sense to you? It doesn't make any sense. I mean, why were y'all scared? Y'all were with Jesus, man. I mean, you, why? You had your chance to ask him questions. But I'm looking at it from here, not from where they were at. This stuff was going on. After they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, you don't ever think about Jesus living in a house, but he, he did with his disciples. They, there was a house there. They were in it. They didn't just live out in the streets. You know, uh, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing out on the road? That's a good question. But they didn't answer him. <laughs> Don't you think that's funny? They didn't answer. You ever ask somebody something that's pretty serious and they wouldn't answer you? You ever had that experience? Hey, well, I remember one time asking Marlon something. He wouldn't answer me. Marlon, what happened at church Sunday? If something didn't happen good, he didn't answer me. So I called Matthew. Matthew, what happened? He wouldn't answer me. Then I called, at the time, Andy Squires, I called Andy. He wouldn't answer me. I said, we're having a meeting tomorrow. <laughs> I'm going to get to the bottom of this. I knew something good, not good happened, and nobody's giving me that. They were all kind of weasel-wording me, you know. <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> uh, well, they didn't answer because they were arguing about which of them was the greatest. And they were ashamed for Jesus to know. <laughs> yeah, Marlon convinced Andy and uh, Matthew that he was a grace after he threatened to hit them. And they immediately said, oh, yeah, you're the grace, Marlon. There's no question. Marlon's the greatest. <laughs> All right. I'm back in the Bible now. <laughs> Woo. So he sat down and called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be the first must take the last place, and listen to this, to be the servant of everyone. The servant of everyone else. 
That's, that's really what he was wanting to teach them. He was wanting to teach them, if you want to be great in my kingdom, this is how you be great in my kingdom. You become the servant, listen, of everyone. You don't just become the servant of your friends or the, your family. Everyone, that's what Jesus said, everyone, you must have a heart to, to serve absolutely every human being that you come in contact with. This is Jesus talking. Now, obviously you cannot serve every human being that you come in contact with, right? He wasn't saying literally do it, but he was saying your heart must be in a place if the Holy Spirit tells you to serve a person that you wouldn't even want to be seen with, then you must serve them if you want to be great in my kingdom. You must have a heart. And then he took a child in his arms, it says... Okay, he, then he put, took a little child among them, taking the child in his arm. He said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my father who sent me. So what he was saying, if you think about the child thing, he was talking about, you know, a child really can't do anything for you. All they want you to do is serve them. All they want you to do is make sure they got what they need, Right? That's being a child. That's what he was trying to show them. Are y'all getting this? He was using a child as an illustration. They can do nothing for you. They cannot benefit you. They cannot pay you back. They cannot get you a promotion. They cannot open any doors for you. They cannot talk to their buddies in high places for you. They can do nothing for you. Serve that person. Usually those childlike people are usually for us poor people, people who have nothing, that can do nothing from us but take from us. But Jesus says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to serve them. If you want to be great, this is how you do it. This is Jesus. That's why this this thing on his heart was so important. This is what the gospel art is trying to tell us. This is what the gospel really is. It's not what we've made it into. And I'll tell you something. If, when you look at the Gospel of Mark, you're going to find that there is an absolute direct connection between the power of God and serving God. That's what he's trying to tell us. He's trying to tell us, if you really want to be great, if you want to be a powerful and move in miracles and, and spiritual gifts, then the way to do it is not, is not just church services and revival meetings. It's serving people. Now, we need to get that. Not that church serving. I mean, obviously, I'm in the church service. That's what I do, you know. And I love revivals and all that. But I'll tell you something. The the Bible has a little different view. If we really want to step into the power, who who doesn't want the power of God? If you say you don't, somebody hit them. They're lying. You need to repent. You need to come take communion again. Tell the Lord, I'm sorry, I'm lying. Everybody wants the power of God. If you're a believer and you're, and all the time we're asking, why don't we have the power of God? Could it be the, one of the big reasons we don't have the power of God? Because we don't have this heart to serve and we're not serving. And God wants to break this thing that we see this happening more and more in our culture and it's happening in the church, this thing of isolation, this thing of separation. Are you hearing me? Division. All of that. See, our cult, the culture is, is coming into the church. And Christians are starting to isolate themselves from, the, from each other. They're cutting themselves off from the church. And you can't really be a disciple and do that. I'm telling you that. That's, that's really not reality. 
You really can't. And we really need to get, the, if we really want all that God has for us, I'm just being straight with you, okay? I'm not trying to mess with you. I'm not trying to get you to come to church, okay? I'm just trying to tell you the truth here. If we want to see things shift, we have to shift. Y'all look at mean at me. Uh, here's another thing that I think is important. This is more of a personal thing for me is uh, about minimizing being a servant. Uh, for me, my greatest revelation is being a son. That's for me, is knowing that I'm a son of God. That has impacted my life, and knowing God as my father. That's huge for me. I mean, y'all, if you've been around here, you know that. For the last 15 years of my life, I've lived out of that. And it's been, it's been beautiful. It's been amazing to me. But if that is all I do, I've, I've missed the mark. Do you hear me? If that's all I do, I've missed the mark. I've missed one quarter of who Jesus is at least because he's the servant. So we can have our revelations about the bride of Christ. We're the bride. We're the friend. All those are beautiful. All those are amazing. But we can't take and minimize and take being a servant to God and kick it to the side because of one verse everybody uses. I no longer call you friends. I no longer call you servants, but friends. So we have done away with servanthood over that one verse, and that is not what Jesus was saying because servant doesn't have anything to do with your identity. Do you hear what I'm telling you? Being a servant is not your identity. Being a servant has to do with your assignment as a son or a daughter or a bride of Christ. All that other stuff has to do with identity. And see, we've got to learn to separate the two. Otherwise, we'll keep the servant aside because I don't want to be a servant. That's not who I am. I don't want to be a Martha and get my identity from what I do. No, you shouldn't. You should get your identity about who you are in Christ, who he says you are. But you do have an assignment. You do have a purpose. You do have a calling. And you'll never be able to fulfill those until you really embrace being a servant because Jesus totally embraced being a servant. And that's one of the ways he fulfilled his purpose and his calling on this earth. So do y'all get that? The difference servant has to do with your assignment, your purpose, your calling. Okay? That's what it has to do with. Your identity has to do with being a son, being a daughter, being a friend. All that's identity related. Service is assignment related. And we have a gospel that pushes that, that reveals that, that says that over and over. Are you all right? Everybody's mad. (laughs) Yeah, I see it, man. I see it. Woo, thank you, Lord. Amen? Yes, sir. I hope somebody heard this this morning. I hope, you know, if, if you could say to the Lord, I want to be your disciple. Lord, I don't, I don't want to just be, I don't want to just be a Christian, Lord. I want to be a disciple. I, I, you know. The reason those guys were arguing about whose grace, because God has put in every human being on this planet, He's put this thing in them because we're created in his image to make a difference in this world that we live in. Everybody has that in them. Whether they're aware of it or not, it's in all of us that we want to make a difference. We, we, we want to leave a footprint on this earth when we leave that somehow our life counted for something. That's really what they were talking about. 
they may have been thinking in the wrong way and acting in the wrong way, but really what they was doing was expressing this need that they had in their heart of significance and making a difference. You all have that. Every one of you have that. And Jesus, what he was trying to teach him, I'm going to teach you not that that need, that desire is wrong. It's the way you're going about that thing is wrong. I'm going to show you how to go about to fulfill that thing in you that says, I want to make a difference. I'm going to show you how to do it. And he's going to say, the first thing is, I want you to learn how to serve and be a servant. And as you begin to do that, then you can begin to make a difference. But I will tell you this, just from bad experience. If you haven't settled your identity in the Lord, it's going to be a rough ride. Because here's what you're going to try to do. You're going to try to get your identity from what you do. And I'm going to tell you, that is a dead end. And it will lead you down a bad path, and it will mess you up. And you'll go down that path over and over and over until you finally get it in your thick skull. This is not how I get identity. I get identity because I'm a son or I'm a daughter. I'm a friend. Then you start getting that settled. The serving part starts becoming more natural. It becomes more part of, oh, yeah, this is, there's a desire that rises up. And this is what I can do to express this thing in me. And I feel like we're in a time right now where God the Father is saying this. Listen, I want, I want my church to rise up. Okay? And I want, us to get, I want you to get out of this mode of just always wanting to be touched and always having this experience with the Lord. And I love all of that. I want to be touched all the time. And I want, to, I want to experience those things all the time. But I hear the Spirit saying to me, if that's all you want, Byron, you, you're missing so much of what the New Testament teaches. Your, your Christian life is going in the wrong direction because it's not all about that. That's an important part of it, but if that's all there is to you, you've missed the mark. Maybe I'm the only one in the room who's just struggled with that. Because I, I mean, I'm all in. Let's get caught up into the, let's go to heaven and see things and, you know, hear things and let's have visions, let's see angels and all that. I love all of that, but the truth is they don't preach that in the New Testament. They mention it, they talk about it, it happens, yeah. You know, don't worship angels. Y'all be careful. Paul talks about a few of his encounters, but they do it sort of nonchalantly. Yeah, I had a trance, and the Lord spoke to me. It's just, it was the norm. But it wasn't what they were doing. It wasn't their, it wasn't their purpose in life to have a vision or a trance. Their purpose was the Gospels. That's what their purpose was. It was the Great Commission. And I think when we begin to add that into our Christian life, we become better and whole in the Lord. We become more complete human beings. And it gives Jesus a, a, a chance to express himself in you and through you in ways that he can't do it in the other way. So that's just my thing.